Welcome to another edition of the Partnership Podcast, continuing our recent theme of bereavement support and aftercare. The way people grieve is as prone to change during the pandemic as the funeral service itself, and we're talking to grief care experts about what that change looks like for families. This time, Catherine Betley of Professional Help is here to talk about her experiences. Catherine supports both safe care and safe support, so is seeing not just the impact on bereaved families, but also the toll on funeral directors themselves. Catherine is Managing Director of Grief Chat and Professional Help, and many of you, I'm sure, will have heard of Catherine. Uh, so, Catherine, delighted to see you, and thank you for joining our podcast today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Good. Now, look, you'd have to imagine bereavement support, much like funeral director's own work, has, has been more intensive recently for obvious reasons. Um, how have things been for you then in terms of professional help over the last five or six months during the pandemic? Um, it's actually been quite unusual. Um, I think people expe- expected us to be super, super busy. Um, and that's been true in some ways. But actually what happened at the start of the pandemic was that it was like a collective intake of breath. And people paused um, and didn't do anything for the first couple of months, really. And actually, helplines, we had um, we had um, Zoom calls with the National Bereavement Alliance every week for the first 10 or 12 weeks of the pandemic. And actually talking to 150 or so other bereavement services across the UK, nobody was busy. Helplines were silent for quite a long time. And I right. think that was something to do with people not expecting them to be answered. Um, yeah. I guess conversely to that, what we saw with um, email support and with the web chat, particularly with grief chat, is that that went yeah. crazy. Um, people yeah. seemed to communicate electronically because that, that seemed to be safe and reasonable at the time. So yeah. the first half of the pandemic, what we were busy doing were responding to requests to set up staff care schemes. There were a lot of people in, in lots of different industries, um, not, not just funerals and, and the related industries, to funerals but all kinds of different organizations who were in touch to say you know we have had to change our business practices as a result of the pandemic or we're making people redundant or there's something there is big change afoot um, and we think it's it's um, important for us to have staff counseling and staff care in place so we find ourselves running around setting up lots of new helplines lots of new staff care schemes at that point but the bereavement counseling stuff almost stopped um, and right. a lot of organisations close their helplines. Um, most community bereavement services, because a lot of them are volunteer-led, did actually close, yeah. and a lot of them still are closed. Wow, I hadn't appreciated that. That's interesting. So um, leading on to my next question then, so if, if we set the numbers aside, how would you say COVID-19 is impacting bereaved people then? Yeah, yeah. I think when we started, we were talking to a lot of brief people, particularly those in the early days of, of COVID-19, who'd lost people in um, very distressing and quite unusual circumstances where they hadn't been allowed to visit, they hadn't been into the hospital, and sometimes the last thing that people had seen had been their loved yeah. one entering into an ambulance and, and genuinely never being seen again, really, because um, we yeah. had a situation where people weren't allowed to view and you know, there may or may not have been a funeral ceremony at the start of, of the pandemic. Um, and what we saw at that point was some very highly distressed people um, who, you know, it wasn't uncommon for us to have a conversation with someone who said, I wish I had done, you know, I wish I had, you know, battered the door in, I wish I had broken into the hospital, yeah. I wish I had done more to see my loved person. 
um, mm-hmm. either before they died or after they died. And, and there was a sense of disbelief for a lot of people. And I think actually that's still, um, if you look at any of the Facebook groups of, of bereaved people during this time, a lot of the Twitter stuff that's, that's happening, I think there is mm-hmm. still a sense of disbelief that actually this came so quickly out of nowhere and it changed yeah. the rules. It changed the rules of end of life care. It changed the rules of dying. It changed the rules of funerals. Um, yeah. and I think it's changed the rules of bereavement support as well um, in many different ways. I think people are in for a very long call. I think there'll be some very angry people um, who want questions answered about why care was delivered in certain ways or what, you know, why things happened the way that they did. Um, yeah. In hindsight, it's always easier to ask those questions. You know, they're important questions. But at that time, I'm sure you'll remember as well as I do, Malcolm, we were navigating in the dark completely. And most decisions that people took were in the best interest of, of trying to protect people. Um, but yeah. for some people, they caused an immense amount of distress. Um, and I think we'll see the impact of that for a long time. And and here's a question which, which I ask most people over the last six months. So I'm interested in your views so, so how do you think what's happened over the last six months will affect future funerals and, and in terms of the restrictions that we've seen? That's a really interesting question. Um, I think it was quite interesting. The last couple of years, I've been having conversations with people about direct cremations um, and yeah. something of an unforeseen rise in lots of ways. And there seemed to be the views that actually these wouldn't really, you know, there would, there would be a percentage of the market for people who, you know, wanted to make an arrangement in advance that was the no cost, there was the, the option of actually do something else. Um, and some families would be able to tolerate that. And I said, you know, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this really took off. Um, and I know it has in other places. But mm-hmm. I think the pandemic, like, it accelerated a lot of things. It accelerated simple funerals, it accelerated direct cremations. Um, it has stripped bare in lots of ways, funerals, and shown them for the elements that they are. And that's not a criticism at all, because you know a lot yeah. of people are amazing, um, kind of amazing spectacles, and, and there's a huge amount of time and energy and effort to put into them. Um, and there is lots of research to suggest that if you get the right funeral, um, then yeah. it will impact, you know, it will impact positively on your bereavement experience. Um, but I think in some ways, you know, what we saw was that that funerals were kind of, I suppose, stripped apart for the the, the essential elements of the care of the deceased which was very problematic in itself. Um, the actual ceremony, the service that surrounded the funeral, the disposal of the body, we, we saw those different aspects laid fairly bare. Um, and then the ancillary things that we would lo- normally love to put around those events, like yeah. the cars and the flowers and the reception of people getting together and, and all, the other, the, all the other things that really complement those, um, yeah. were no longer available and became less important, I think, in some ways. Um, mm-hmm. Just to converse, as we had as many families tell us that a smaller funeral suited them as we had families tell us that a smaller funeral didn't suit them at all. But I think for the future, I don't think anyone will forget this year. I don't think anyone will forget if they had a funeral, what that funeral was like and how yeah. it was different. Um, and I think in the future, we'll, we'll purchase funerals differently. We will think about funerals differently. Um, and maybe we'll think about them in terms of what's meaningful to us as well as what's meaningful to the person who's died and, and choose carefully and choose accordingly to that. So I think we'll, we'll see some permanent changes as a result of, of the last six months or so. Right. Thank you. Fascinating. Um, I'm just going to turn to safe support now because um, I know you've also helped run safe support, which, which is more about the direct support and counselling for funeral directors themselves. 
Now, you know, we talked a lot about funeral directors being on the front lines of this crisis, and to some extent they've been under the radar a little bit in terms of the press and the news. Could you talk a little about that? Absolutely. So when we set up Safe Support, it was to help give um, a release valve, if you like, to funeral directors who found themselves under pressure. Now, what has happened in the last five years or so is that we found that people use Safe Support when they are at a crisis point, um, and we would prefer them to come a lot earlier than that. So really, mm -hmm. in that sense, what we offer is a helpline. We offer um, a completely non-judgmental view of what might be happening in someone's world. We understand the profession and some of the pressures that are on people. And what we usually find with, with people who access safe support, it's not usually just a work pressure. It's when a toxic work situation or a cumulative work stress or a particular incident then also coincides with something difficult at home or in someone's health or personal life. Um, and then people become overwhelmed. So what we mm. do there is obviously help them on the helpline and, and we can put them into professional counselling as well if that's what they want and need and that's, that's the right service for them. So yeah, it's been, um, we've, we've seen a steady increase actually year on year for the last five years with safe support. We've, we've yeah. worked very hard to get well known and um, it takes a long time to kind of really embed services within the profession um, mm -hmm. for people to trust us, but we've worked hard to do that and it's, it's been well used and I think it will be well used you know, even more in the future as people have the time and the space to start to reflect on the amount of work that they've done, the type of work that they've done, the concerns yeah. that they've worked under, the challenges that they've faced in terms of things that, that keep us in the funeral profession are that we value the relationships that we build with families, are that yeah. we can go over and above and beyond. You know, I, I, I was saying to somebody yesterday, it's it's not unusual in funeral world to hear someone say, if it's legal and we can do it, we will do it. We will do what families want. People sure. go completely out of the way um, to help. Um, and actually not being able to do that has a psychological impact on the helper. Um, so that's exactly what safe support is there for. Brilliant. All right. And Catherine, final question. Um, so in, in terms of everything that's happened from your perspective in, in the context of bereavement, are there any positives that, that you can see from a professional perspective going forward, either in the way you look at bereavement or in the way you, you support bereavement? Um, I think there will be better understanding of the nature of bereavement. I think there will be better understanding of the impact on bereaved people. I suspect we may, may see a, a public inquiry into um, the nature of some of the deaths and, and some of the, the actions that were taken after that and why people were not allowed to have funerals or see people who died. And I think that will hopefully raise awareness um, of really the issues that are faced by bereaved people, which is never a bad thing in that sense. Um, it's unusual in, in these circumstances, but actually raising the awareness of the, the, the impact of bereavement can only be a good thing. Um, I think like many different businesses, the shift to digital, um, yes. it was, it's, in that sense, it was long overdue in terms of therapy. We've been looking for ways to make therapy more accessible, you know, to make bereavement care or counselling faster, cheaper, you know, more people can, can benefit from it. So services like Grief Chat, I think, are here to stay and will continue to evolve and develop. Um, we've done 10,000 chats this last probably five months on Grief Chat. Right. Which compared to last year, is probably five times the number that we did last year. For digitally enabled people, there are yeah. huge benefits in terms of um, anonymity, speed of access, immediacy of support, and the opportunity to get into a longer term, maybe a face-to-face -face relationship, a telephone relationship with a counsellor. There are some benefits there. 
I think we've also got some challenges because we a lot of the um, the grievance sector is provided by charities. Yes. A lot of charities are under financial stress. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of the bereavement sector is provided by volunteers and whether or not people will be able to continue to volunteer in the same way, I don't know. So I think we'll, we'll see a change in, in the nature of how bereavement care is delivered in the community. So yeah, I think there've been benefits and challenges all the way around, but actually raising awareness for, you know, for bereaved people of what this means for them um, and actually putting into play some kind of longer term support as, you know, as a, a UK society can only be a good thing. Brilliant. Right. Thank you, Catherine. That's been a fascinating insight into bereavement. That's all we have time for. But once again, lovely to see you and thanks for your time. Do appreciate that. Thanks, Malcolm. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another Partnership Podcast. As always, the whole year's archive of episodes is available at goldencharter.buzzsprout.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, I'm always looking out for new people and ideas for my podcast conversations. So please do get in touch with me if you feel there is something we could cover together at malcolm.flanders at goldencharter.co.uk. Take care and I'll talk to you next time on the Partnership Podcast.